Today's guests on the Chris Kirkwood Podcast are filmmaker Dave Markey and Ben Lee Ritchie Handler of the world-famous Kagosian Gallery. Dave Markey has made films since he was a teenager, and his output includes films like Desperate Teenage Love Dolls and The Year Punk Broke featuring Nirvana and Sonic Youth. Ben Lee Ritchie Handler is a DJ and the librarian at the Gagosian Gallery here in Los Angeles. Today, they'll talk with Chris about the love affair between high art and punk rock. Another episode of the Chris Kirkwood Podcast. I'm Bill Cody. I'm the Hello, ladies and gentlemen. And, welcome. Uh, we have some terrific guests again. Uh, we have Ben Lee Ritchie Handler of Gagosian Gallery, and we have Dave Markey of We Got Power Films, uh, purveyor of many great uh punk rock and just regular movies over the years um i don't call any of them regular <laughs> okay i would not call them regular uh but anyway uh <laughs> um, a little super eight uh you know masterpieces <laughs> super eight masterpieces yes i would call them that um and anyway uh we are here to talk a little bit about uh art punk rock how they combine together uh they did a panel at the uh Los Angeles Art Book Fair. And uh, Chris, do you have anything to say? I'd just like to say hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of the Chris, Chris Kirkwood, Kirkwood Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'd like to thank Ben Handler for coming in to talk with us today, and my old pal, Dave Markey. Dave and I go quite a ways back. Yes, always, and, uh, always great to uh, be in your presence. Oh, same <laughs> back at you, Dave. Same back at you. Many like, years. Many, many years, huh? It's kind of creepy. Kind of creepy how long it's been. But, um, okay, let's get started. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what, uh, uh, why don't you talk a little bit about what you did at the, the L.A. Book Fair? The uh... Well, I, I wrangled this guy into coming to another nonprofit speaking <laughs> engagement. Um, t- uh, the idea, it was called... Um, I can't even remember what that is. Contemporary <laughs> Artists Book Conference. Oh, well, at the Contemporary Artists Book Conference, we had a panel called um, The Evolving Definitions of Punk DIY and Print Media, or Self-Publishing, that was what it was. Um, but anyway, I was, I was just thinking about, because uh, John Hinckley Jr. is about to get released from the Insane Asylum. Is that what's happening? I uh, heard he wants to start a band. Yeah, with with Dave actually. Mm. <laughs> John Hinckley is getting out. He's getting out, but um, but that just made me think about Reaganomics and trickle down. And I, I always thought about punk rock. I think and that the essence of it has kind of been more like trickle up, um, wherein like everybody just kind of throws a bunch of shit. Are we allowed to say shit? Or no? We can cuss. Yeah, you can cuss <laughs> up the fucking was, shit. We're still. not regulated by yeah. the FCC I was here. Told absolutely, you want to podcast. Okay. It's kind of like the HBO of uh, of uh, radio or whatever. But no gratuitous swearing, please. Fuck, uh, fuck, fuck. There's nothing more. Clear. But anyway, we like I, I think like the whole thing about punk rock was um, like rather than the people at the top um, making all the shit and then letting their shit trickle down, uh, the punk rock has started kind of at the bottom and on the streets and especially like with like the print media and the zine culture and all of that. And it's just people making a bunch of stuff and then like it kind of trickles up until like the the rich people try to buy it and steal it and then but then there's more shit than they can get their hands on coming up 
I don't know if this is a very good analogy, but... Um, well, getting back anyway. to uh, John Hinckley, yeah. didn't he already do a collaboration with Devo like 35 years ago? <laughs> no, but I want yes. to hear it. I don't... Well, it may, did he? Yeah. Oh, I think actually Devo just took his lyrics. I don't know. I don't know the story behind it, but there is a uh, Devo song that uses John Hinckley's lyrics. Was that before or after he shot Breakout? Oh, of course. After, <laughs> I mean, he, that was that was his claim. That was his claim to fame. <laughs> Nobody knew who he was before, you know. Um, you know, JFA. Right, and then Jodie Foster's Army came out of <laughs> yeah. John Hinckley Jr. Right. To be and, a, you know, funny enough, Don Pendleton, the guitar player from JFA, and I had a job together. You know, this is like this is a while ago, right? This is probably like 1980 or something. And we were parking cars at a, at a place in Phoenix called Beef Eaters. We were both valets, right? Beef Eaters was kind of this stuffy old establishment, you know, uh, eatery. And we worked the lunch shift together. <clears throat> you Excuse were me. beef puppets. Beef puppets. And, uh, <laughs> and, and we'd, we'd already started. We were playing in, in around it. And I knew Don peripherally from like the, the little punk rock scene that was happening out in Phoenix. You know, there was kind of a little scene. There was all these, these freaks. There was the hate house, this place down in, you know, that existed. And it was very arty, you know what I mean? And, and at that point, it was really obvious that like the punk thing, that was happening then, you know, the certain side of it at least, had a lot to do with art. And these were people that kind of, maybe it was post-war hall or something, yeah. you know what I mean? They kind of knew, they were tuned into like this arty side of stuff, you know? And, uh... Well, yeah, like the Killer Pussy and, uh... Those people, yeah, you know, uh, and, and then, and the, like, and the Hate House itself, I mean, it was like, it was a, like an old house in Phoenix that's, it's no longer there, you know, but it's like in central Phoenix, kind of old, like, houses that they had back then. And it had been taken over by arty types you know which back then pretty much meant like junkies sort of you know but there was this one guy rick bertoni you know and he did these real big paintings with kind of realistic of faces and stuff and it, it, it just smacked slightly of like you know of that arty of like you know the warhol's factory kind of a thing you know where this this commune or these like-minded people or whatever you know that just where there's this certain thing going on anyways don was around and he was doing various things and playing in some other stuff and I remember him asking me, do you want to start a skate punk band? How about you and Derek and me start a skate punk band? And I was like, skateboards are dangerous, Don. <laughs> yeah, you could skin your knee. And uh, I declined to start a skate punk. I just decided, you know, it's like I didn't skate. You know what I mean? So I thought it would be, you know. Did the Beach Boys surf? Did <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so th that's why I did it, you know. I was, I was drawing the line, you know. Those guys, look what happened to them. You know? Well, there was a lot of stuff happening in Phoenix in that time, like the feeders and... Uh, the feeders, you know. I mean, the, the first time... The consumers and uh, the, Paul Cutler and those guys are the first. I mean, there was a, there's a big L.A. Phoenix connection. connection yeah. Well, that's where... the first wave. That's Those dudes were, like, ahead of us, right? And, and you know, that's how we got over here, right? It was, like, uh, the consumers played a gig and uh then it was written about like in the local weekly or something and the guy was saying you know if you weren't there you, you know you missed something and uh derek wrote back well what if you're not old enough to get into bars he actually wrote the guy a letter right it was bart ball somebody that you know still around in some ways you know in some capacity and bart passed that letter on to david wiley the singer of the consumers right who then struck up a, a you know relationship with derek of you know i don't know just like letter style, you know, like writing back and forth kind of a thing. So once we started playing, actually at the point where the three of us were playing, Derek sent David tapes, and that led to us, you know, coming out here and doing our first show, uh, which was at, at an art gallery. It was at a little art gallery. You, remember, you, know, you know what I'm talking about? It was an Asian dude that ran the, pla ran the place. I can't remember the name of it, 
but it was in Hollywood. It was like a small storefront art gallery, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. there were some pieces on the wall, you know, and I remember that night, uh, you know who was there? El Duce was there, right? <laughs> and he's like... Welcoming committee. Oh, uh, he's intense. He's like in front of us, like on his knees, flipping us off, and then like <laughs> bowing and all this shit, and I'm like going, hey, guy's kind of scary, you know? And uh, and Bartel was there, Bill Bartel of White Flag fame and whatnot was there as well, because he was a huge Germs fan. And I remember Jimmy, I, you know, I, this isn't true, but Jimmy stole art off the walls, you know, and I didn't say that, and it's not true, and, and you know, if there's... You gotta tell no, people oh, who no. Jimmy is. You know, well, it's Jimmy Gersetti, who went by the name of Don Bowles, right, and mm-hmm. was the drummer in The Germs, and is from Phoenix originally, and Don Bowles was a, a reporter out in Phoenix who actually got blown up by the mob, yeah. you know, right. over, like, you know, shifty, you know, you know, Chinatown Last time weirdness. I was in Phoenix, uh, we <laughs> actually, Jordan and I showed our photos there a couple years ago, and we stayed at the hotel where... Don Bowles you stayed right had, there. Blowed, had blown up, right. and, they, and, and then they had all these photos in the hallway, and actually uh, got the, to see of the accident of, yeah, of the accident, accident. <laughs> of the of, of the whole thing, right. and that was that was a trip. Yeah, and that I live right around the corner from that. I remember you guys were in town, and I was out of town. You know, and how often right. you come out to Phoenix, and you know, and I live right the heck around the corner from that place. So, so you know, and it was that connection, though. You know, those guys having moved out here, you know, they like moved right. into the Canterbury, you know, and the, yeah, like Paul Cutler, you know, and. Uh, um, and then David Mikey Wiley Borans. joined uh, the Human Hands. David joined the Human Hands and uh, LA band. And we did that first show was with Forty Five Grave, right? And that's Paul and, and, and Don's band. Makes you know? perfect sense. And that night, the other funny thing that night, Jimmy had a van with a license plate that said Unit Six Six Six, and Bartell stole the license plate. He took the license plate off because he's such a big, huge wow. Germs fan. That's so that's not true either. And that's not true either. <laughs> That's so, back when you could, you know, get away with stuff like that. And those and, times seemed to be like, you know, no one was accountable to anything. That was you know, why it was so much fun. And it's like you're saying, like it started at that level. You know, yeah. it started yeah. at a at a street level. Like, but it's a, like a like we're talking about like the music uh, was was just the epicenter, and then like all, all the stuff that would come around it. Like there would be these like we got power and um and the, the other fanzines the fanzine culture and, that came but it up would be it. there would be drawings and there would be poetry and there would be bad poetry you know <laughs> and that undoubtedly and, and, there would and be kids art. with super eight cameras like myself who actually went and shot these bands playing live and fortunately and, you know uh, yeah of course at the time you have no idea that you're documenting history you're just making films, which is something I had done since I was 11 years old. Right. It's something that I just, from childhood on, was just fascinated with and loved doing. And then, you know, a few years later, uh, you know, fi- finally by the time I got old enough to come up into Hollywood, I was like 16 or 17. Like during the mask years, I was 13. I was a little too young to get up here. And uh, But I remember uh, coming up here the first time on the bus and, and going up to the Starwood which I've now lived across the street from for 24 years, <laughs> many years, many years, uh, you know, prior, of course. And, uh, you know, just started seeing these bands and uh, really getting engulfed with all the stuff that was happening in L.A. at the time. And the scene in L.A. was really kind of amazing. It was, you know, so many bands. And when you look back at the bands now, it was all under the banner of, quote, punk rock right. or whatever hardcore at the time uh you know whatever it was being called but when you look when you go back and you look at the bands so many bands were no no two bands really sounded alike well that's the cool thing about it it's definitely what allowed us to come out here you know and i mean in la is where 
you know, all of our stuff came out of for years. And we were over here a lot, you know, and right. we started in Phoenix and there was an interesting scene there. But as far as like the recording stuff, you know, we met Monitor, the band Monitor, right. through David, you know, through David Wiley. And he joined the Human Hands. We met those guys, you know. And uh, it was through Monitor that we wound up making that first 7-inch, you know, because they were making their album and they wanted us, they wanted that one song, Hair, Right. Their album you, they had you cover their song, and then you ended up going for their, for and their knocking album. out an entire EP in one. Well, they said you right? record some of your stuff as well. You know that's how they like paid us or whatever. You know we were in the studio, so we banged out yeah you know five of our songs that became that first seven inch. And back then, I mean, it was an arty enough thing. Like, well, how know. do you source the cover artwork? Because I, I, I mean, like. I that first meat puppet show. seven inch is the seven inch, really the seven inch has amazing. a drawing. <laughs> the cover of the, the cover of the seven inch is a drawing by Damon Bostrom, our, our drummer Derek's younger brother, uh-huh. and uh, that's that's Damon's artwork on the cover. And on the back is uh, we caught we stole a photo by Giovanni Battista Gaudi, right? you know <laughs> the, the the Renaissance you know mur- uh, you know painter, yeah. and it's like a ceiling somewhere, lovely beautiful little thing, a little clip of that, and uh, and then we called. We, we like to sit around and, you know, draw as well. You know, there's the art connection that was already there. I mean, it's all just under one banner of just like, you know, we, you know, any excuse to fucking drop acid yeah. and fucking smoke pot. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So, but we'd sit around and like amuse each other with drawings and like had notebooks filled with the scrap by the time we got around to actually, this is like, what, what was it, 81 or something, the seven inch, you know? And we've been playing together for like, you know, year and a half or something already. I remember that discovering point. that record at Tower Records on Sunset and uh, immediately picking it up. And I think I had heard maybe a track that Rodney Binghamheimer had played on his show. Rodney Binghamheimer, longtime uh, LA DJ who was really one of the first, if not the first person to play this music on a commercial radio Definitely. station. And his, his role in, in spreading this music here in town and of course, and beyond, you know, it can't really even be measured. But I think, I think I had heard. Uh, I think Black Flag was on, and they, they maybe had played a test pressing of it or something. Or I, I don't even remember exactly. But from that moment where I first picked up that first single, I was your biggest fan. Oh. <laughs> well, the first, the the first thousand. Remember this? The, we we went through the notebooks, our notebooks, and the the only uh, like we're you know restriction or whatever it had to just have art on it it couldn't have like you know phone number or anything else or whatever you know it just had to be like a page of art uh-huh. right? so no email through. address no no emails <laughs> you know yeah. um so and we pulled them out and we clipped off the little fuzzy you know the, yeah. the, the hanging chads or whatever those piece of things are called <laughs> and uh and then we folded them up and put them in the first thousand you know uh of the pre- pressing whatever the first thousand that they pressed so so you did, still, a, you did a thousand drawings that you inserted by hand into yeah, that initial yeah, pressing. Yeah, uh, yeah. weed yeah. and acid will help you with that. Yeah, <laughs> and it, and it's still occasionally it happened last year in uh, Australia. You know, occasionally I still, you know, because then the thing got re-released by SST, right? And that's the copy. You did that yeah. a thousand more drawings for that. No, no, no. Oh. I just did the thousand and. Uh, the initial that was thousand. the world imitation release. The original, that was the world imitation. That's what release. Monitor called yeah, their, their label, and they put it out initially. And and uh, and and still, I'll have people come up, you know. And it happened in Australia. This guy comes up and he's like, "Whoa, cool!" You know, whatever, you know, and pulls out, you know, I got one of these, and here, here's the drawing in it, you know, and, and it'll be like, 
and his was like, okay, that's Kurt, that part's Kurt, and that's Derek right there. You know, I'd be able to tell who did what on it. You know, so already back then, I mean, there was definitely an already connection to the to the uh, to the punker side of things that allowed us to get into it. You know, it was cool, and we could kind of trans, you know, we could cross boundaries in a way. You know, because we could play screechy and loud, kind of. My but first we were impression of guys. the Meat Puppets when I heard that single was, this is exactly what it sounds like. Um, what my brain sounds like when I drop acid. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a fun, it's a fun little record. I mean, it's 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 cool. You know that that that, that weird instrumental, the very kind of beef hardish, the one that just that one in particular. Out in the gardener, is that what that's called? You know, Minutemen and you guys. At, at that point, had so many songs, and I, I loved them all, but I never, half the time, I didn't even know what the titles right. were. It was just, especially the Minutemen, they would have, you know, 30-second songs, 40-second songs, and they'd, they'd have a set list that would go down a wall, you know, like, and, and each song was so short that you actually had, like, 70 songs in a set list. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, half the time, it was just so hard to keep up with the song titles. You couldn't. It, would, it was impossible. But you knew them. You knew the songs, and and that's really what mattered. Well, it was definitely a cool scene, and, and a very arty. You know, there would was it, a lot of art would you uh, you were talking about this this place with um, in Hollywood? Uh -huh. uh, would you play at any other art galleries or anything like that? Did we? I mean, back then the gigs happened wherever they did. Yeah, you know? well, I mean, like I I just remember like. Well, in my punk rock days, which were the 90s, uh, um, like going to places like the Booby Trap or the PCH Club, which would be like some dingy place with a broken toilet or the smell, which I think was named after the broken toilet, probably. Um, <laughs> but there, but they would always but there would always be like kids selling their zines and kids selling their drawings and then kids selling their vegan cupcakes. And um, and it's, it's like it had a very communal aspect. And I I don't think that anybody ever thought that they were going to get rich off of it. And I, I wonder if nowadays, like, if, if that same spirit is kind of possible with the, with the Internet, because everybody thinks they're going to be famous now. And, um, like, and everyone has Instagram, and so with your 10 followers that click like every time, you're, um, I feel like, like kind of always having the spotlight on you, even if no one's paying attention, is, um, I, I think, delusions of grandeur are kind of ruining the whole thing or has that always been a part of it i guess has everyone always I mean, thought they're going to be rich and famous or i don't know if people thought they were going to be rich and famous I, I, back then i don't i in in that in that scene in the in the late 70s early 80s it was very much uh you were lucky to get through the summer you know i um, i uh i clearly uh, yeah like we got power yeah. seems like like as much of a mantra as a as a declaration like where trying to convince yourself like we got power we can do well, this i mean we said the, the name was kind of corny i never yeah. i didn't even like it but we named it after uh this uh, rick l rick song called i got power mm -hmm. um actually i got power would have been a better name than we got power <laughs> but uh you know anyhow that I was, like the that, was the name of the, that was the name it, yeah. of the fanzine and it was you know a little bit different than than a lot of the punk rock scenes at the time namely because it had a sense of humor uh some of these zines were really kind of hard political uh really you know we we sort of had this just weird irreverence and that seeped through to the films that i made and the photos that we took and uh just just really just kind of you know hanging out with my friends 
That's Jordan and, and Jennifer Schwartz were sort of yeah. like, we were never in a band together per se, but we were like a band. We were, you know, I mean, once you have your your core group of people that you, you know, sort of bond with, you just go from there. Yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, started our, our thing. I mean, it's my brother, the guitar, you know, playing on guitar. I mean, but I mean, it, the band actually kind of started, I think, I, I think I'm a, I don't know if I'm a, even a founding member in a way because Kurt and Derek started playing together at first, you know, and at a point, it came up that, you know, well, may, maybe I can talk my brother into playing some bass on this because, you know, Kurt and I didn't really play together that much. You know, it wasn't like we came up together thinking, you know, let's be in a band, you know. And I distinctly remember, like, at the time when Monitor brought up the idea of us recording something and then, you know, like the 7-inch, I was just like, why? You know, why bother? You know, I mean, like, I mean, okay, for fun, you know, we could do this, but I couldn't imagine anybody actually wanting it, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> it, just, it was so far from, like like you said, the delusions of grandeur or anything like that. When you go back and listen to wasn't. it now, what, what what's your impression? Of oh, it's hilarious. I, I love it. Oh, God, I love that. On the first album? Fuck, we were tripping yeah. balls when we made that. <laughs> Three days in a row, just like tripping balls, you know? Yeah, that it's first like, album is nuts. Un- and then, unapproachable. It, it, it seems like you know. a, like, I mean, not reactionary, but it seems like you're trying to do something different from like like what everything else that I've heard from like the SST records that going on right there. But that first album was pretty hardcore though. I mean, it, it may have been it may have been but you know like a weird. sideways version of it, completely weird. But still, that's the fastest you guys ever played. Oh, you yeah. guys, you guys were clearly, you know, uh, paying you know, a part of this musical extended family that. Started with the germs. I mean, that was my impression of it, anyways. But but clearly informed by, you know, Captain Beefheart and Devo, even and just just all sorts of music. You know, like and, you and were the first else. band that, that that really sort of even incorporated country and western into your music. Well, by the time the you thing. did two, like your your but sound one, changed so different. But on one though, we do that Doc Watson, you know, a Doc Tumbling Watson version of. Well, th- that's the. Riders of the Purple Sage, right? No, oh, no, no. Sons of the Pioneers. That's Tumble and Tumbleweeds. Okay. We got that Walking Boss. I don't Walkin know if boss. it's a standard or what, but we got it off of Doc Watson, you know, that version. And if you listen to the actual structure of the songs on those on that first record, you know, I mean, I, it sounds like R.E.M. to me. You know what I mean? It's like there's a lot of, you know, I mean, just with... with R.E.M. Split, with the bag of MDA. You know, you know that's me, Puppets, too. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fat sack of MDA. We're not talking about drugs here. We're talking about, uh, you know, medically prescribed... Muscular Dystrophy Association. Know, totally. <laughs> And, uh, kids. You know, but I mean, there's a lot of arpeggiated stuff and whatnot, and we just happen to be screaming our asses off over it. And I think that was the cathartic side of it, you know? I mean, it, it, the band was ours, you know? That's the, like you're saying, coming yeah. up from the street or something. I mean, it certainly wasn't, it was never a dream of mine to be like, you know, I want to be, you know, a rock guy or whatever like that, you know? And I, but I really, really found music to be something that I enjoyed doing. I found it an interesting uh, outlet to, you know, or inlet to myself, you know? And then, like, and to come out of myself in a way and bond with other people in a way, you know, my brother and Derek. And and uh, Derek was a real cool guy and uh, interesting guy, you know, kind of more, uh, way more culturally aware than I was in a way. You know, I was, like, into, like, certain things that I could relate to, but he turned me on to, like, you know, punk rock mostly. You know, I kind of, I'd seen some stuff. I saw, I saw the Ramones in 78. I saw Talking Heads, who I loved in 78. Oh, yeah. Saw Devo, like 78, yeah. you know, some shit that was just like, oh, fuck, that's fucking tripped out shit. But I'd seen tons of concerts. I really liked to go to shows and stuff, you know. But I'd been into like jazz, and then I got into like out jazz, you know, and stuff before <laughs> that, and I started in bluegrass, you know. So suddenly to come to this place, and so then you just Derek, had already eaten, digested so many, so much music as, as a child. And, you know, and that's, and, you know, 
and that's where I was coming at it from, you know, as, as just like personally. And then Derek was into like the whole seven inch thing, you know, and had all those seven inches that were happening, you know, and that's what it was. I mean, people, it just became apparent you can get records made, you know, it's not just the purview of the record companies, you know, you could like go to a place and pay the money and just get a thousand other things or whatever, you know what I mean? And all these bands had done that, you know, plus it was kind of like, some of it was real straightforward. Like we learned the whole Damned album, you know, that, that, right. that first yeah. Damned album. She was like, well, those are easy songs and they're fun. Wee! You know? Yeah. And uh, or, you know what I loved was that James Williamson, Iggy Pop's Seven Inch with I Gotta Write and Give oh, Me Some yeah. Skin, you know, certain things and just, you know, so uh, it was a very freeing sort of a thing that, that suddenly it was like, well, I could be in a band because the Meat Puppets was my first band, you know, whereas Kurt had been playing for a while before that and had actually been in cover bands even, you know? Right. And stuff like that, something I never did, you know, so. How did you come about with the, the you explained the artwork for the first seven inch, but uh -huh. did you guys do all the artwork for all the albums? Yeah, you know, pretty much, huh? Um, yeah. There's, let's see, what, what's the one? Two Eyed Eye has a photo on it. There's a picture like Kurt in a dress. I think or that's the only one that's got a photo, no? Yeah, that's that one's got it. Well, it's, a, it's like a big sunspot in the middle, which is. This kind of this, thing, it's pink. Uh, you know, yeah. Stuff, yeah. You know? and that was a major label thing. Those, you know, those people, you know, I remember the guy, I think his name was Mike Klotz, was the art director at the time. And whoever picked that photo out, you know, and it was done, it was a cool photo. That's up in Sedona. We took that, you know, actually drove up there and did that. But, but mostly, you know, like uh, we featured, like, yeah, I mean, we put like our art on the, on the, cover the things like by like, the time that album came out though you had been a band for 14 years yeah you, you, yeah. you know started in 80 then you finally yeah. get your gold record 14 years later I know. and uh yeah. i mean you know i love that record too but uh, uh, like yeah you know it's cool it came out good and you know i mean the cool thing about that was it was a you know we, we made it with paul leary from the butthole surfers you know paul had had he'd done like delusions of banjur that that those guys you know that that you know and, and been bad working livers. on the, the bad livers he'd been working on the the butthole stuff and it's then he did that sublime record after after he did our thing the sublime guys apparently liked us and got in touch with paul and paul did a great job of it you know and he actually i thought, you know, he, I thought that was right before it okay no you know, no, so no it was after. our thing it was our thing so blowing, too high you know, to die led to paul producing that sublime that album. sublime thing okay. you know and uh and, uh, you know, we made entirely and completely the record that we wanted to make, you know, and then for it to actually, you know, do what it, you know, do that well was just like easy because it was, you know, actually our record and, you know, the, so I was kind of trippy. But um, I remember like just speaking about the cover art, like it was just so like, uh, you know, just us in a way, you know, we were at, still living at mom's house <laughs> and Me Puppets too, you know, the cover of that thing kind of, you know, it looks kind of like a buffalo kind of, but I don't think it was, it wasn't meant to be that. I remember Kurt painting that fucking thing. We used to have to hide in our mom's, in their bathroom, you know, we'd like lock ourselves in there <laughs> to smoke pot, right? So mom would be like, what are you doing in there? You know. Just drawing. <laughs> nothing. Taking, taking a shit for each other. Um, uh, Did you ever and, interact uh, with any of the, like the LA art people that were in the punk rock thing, like uh, like Petty Bond or Mike Kelly. Or oh Kelly yeah, or yeah, Detroit. yeah. I mean, years later. Like uh -huh. th this is Many like years later. this is like 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 early on. This is maybe even before the band started, you know. And uh, I remember we we're sitting in there pulling bongs, and Kurt picks up this time, that that painting is about like you know two and a half by two and a half or something, four by four maybe that little painting. And he picks that up. He takes takes a bong, grabs that, picks up a that little piece of canvas, and just goes. And whip that little thing out, you know, just like that. 
and then it was just like you know set aside or whatever and a few years later we made that record and it was like oh that'll work real nicely on there (laughs) most of the covers feature uh, acrylics by my brother you know by my brother and then Derek did the Mirage that's Mirage or Derek and uh, and then like my crap would be interspersed like (laughs) <laughs> do you know mine's a more doodly kind of stuff they put that that sst compilation has one of my drawings on the cover of it that uh no strings attached but that was like that was a uh, um they did that without asking us they put that out as right. they would do for sure getting back to your question ben about uh artists i mean i remember i met mike kelly in the late 80s through uh friends uh kim gordon and thurston moore sonic youth of course and uh and then in 1990, uh, Raymond Pettibone asked me to be a part of uh, this recording that he was doing for Blast First, and it was a very kind of loosely uh, writ record and uh, recorded over the span of like a weekend, uh, and uh, and that was called uh, Torches and Standards, and um, and uh, Mike Kelly was playing drums. <laughs> And uh, I ended up playing drums on a couple of songs because drums were my main thing. I, pl- I was a drummer. And then I ended up playing bass and even some guitar on it, which is something that I, I don't do too often. But it was just, you know, uh, all kind of a, a studio jam thing. But uh, Is Pettibon as aloof as, as he seems in interviews? Um have to point hard, out hard to hard to uh, hard to get in there. I, I would I would probably defer to comment. <laughs> Those are some interesting guys. Ray, Ray is Greg Ginn's brother. You know, yeah, a lot of people don't so, know that. I did yeah. not know that. Well, yeah. I'm going to throw that out. Is that not? Should I not? No, say that? no, it's, it's fine. I think it's well known amongst punk rock circles, uh-huh. but I think a lot of art people don't know that he's Greg. Greg Ginn, Ginn. and his actual name is Ginn. So, and Greg right. Ginn is is of course you know the guitar player from Black Flag, right? So. Founder See, if he would have called himself Ray Ginn during the years of Ray Ginn, it would have been... Ray Ginn. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And uh, Raymond back then, I mean, the Ginn brothers are, you know, they're intense, you know. Black Flag was fucking stomped, man. That was a fucking good band, you know, and, and cool ideas. I remember the first time I saw those guys, first, first, even before that art gig, that art gallery gig, I, I played in the feeders. Remember that? I, I don't, you know... I was at that show. You were at that fucking show. It was at the Whiskey. It was at the and Whiskey. And you were opening for the Dead Kennedys. Dead Kennedys. And I yeah. will always remember that because Frank Discussion had his head shaved. You have to imagine this. He had a freshly shaved head always, that he, always, that always he had giant winged cockroaches glued to his uh, glued glued belly up to his head. So the, uh. so 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 his hair was the the the, the, the wriggly dangling legs. wriggling feet of these horribly and big wearing, winged uh, cockroaches on his head. He they were yeah, alive. Yeah, and, 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 and they were moving around. <laughs> and you were on stage playing <laughs> with him. And of had, course, I didn't know you at the time. Right. And I didn't know, I'd, I, you know, I mean, it wasn't until many years later that you told me that you were a part right. of that. And that was like, holy yeah, crap. I, was, I, I mean, I was the show. fill-in bass player. You know, it was right. Dan Clark, was the, you know, who called himself Clear Bob when they, you know, started the band with Johnny Precious, who was John Vivier, who was the drummer in The Consumers, and then went on to be the drummer in The Killer Pussy as well, you know? Right. And John's passed away quite a while ago, you know? And, uh, but uh, that's one side of the, the thing. A lot of really self-destructive people in it, you know? A lot strange, of dead people you know? from, from this. But that night was like the, uh, the first time he came out here, and Frank wore 
you know, and there's, there's like Danny's ideas, you know. Danny wrote Fuck You. That was the Feeders had a beautiful song, lovely song with lovely sentiment called you Fuck You. And we covered the shit out of like it, you know. Like, oh, we covered it for ages, you know, and it yeah. still it still will come up, you know. That, that's actually that's actually my favorite period of you guys being out live. Right. Was between Forbidden Places and Too High to Die. And there was, it, speaking of Greg Ginn, there was some stuff going on, and you guys were like out on tour. Uh, Lawsuits, perhaps? No, we're going to stay out of that. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, you anyway, know, I'm steering but, clear of all things but, uh, in this discussion as well, because uh, <laughs> we, we've all been through the ringer here, and, uh, you know. But but they played, they closed the, the ringer show. ringer still looms. You, you, you were closing the show with, uh, it was a Beatles tune? I just uh, want to be oh, your tomorrow dog. Ne- tomorrow, tomorrow never knows. Never knows. Yeah. And fuck you. Sweet. And it was it was a it was a great tour. I saw like four or five shows of that. And then one time you came back out for a second encore, did a nineteen minute version of Goodnight Irene, and that pretty much that started that said, that started sending them to the aisles because when you turned your back to the audience and they did not know it was still Goodnight Irene. But I loved every minute of it. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I don't, why, why did I bring up the the Peter's thing? Oh, the feeders. Well, you know, it was just... what? the feeders. Oh, fuck uh, you. Pettybone, Yin. <laughs> oh, the first time I saw those dudes. Oh, right. Yeah. First time I saw the, the, you know, you know, like uh, I was aware of Black Flags. You know, Derek had it and some other stuff, and and you know, DKs. You know, and, and I remember that night at the fucking whiskey. Uh, that's the first night I saw Mugger. He was like doing stage. That Mugger's a guy that wound up, you know, working and being a part of SSD, a big part of it. Nig Heist. Yeah, and the Nig Heist, incredible the lead singer for the Nig Heist, and uh, he was like stage bouncing, you know, like tossing kids off the stage when they come up there. And I remember, you know, how the whiskey's got that little balcony up there. I was just astounded at like, you know, it had gotten to the point where motherfuckers were just there was this constant stream of dudes running up the stairs, run, running across that little patio and just fucking chucking themselves off that balcony. Stage diving off the second story. Second story uh, down into yeah, the it was yeah. just like, what the fuck, right? And then backstage I remember looking over, just being around and it's just like, hey, these these punk rock people that I'd seen on, you know, records and stuff, and I'd seen some of them live. And then there was these two guys in like trench coats, right? Those kind of tannish trench coats kind of standing there kind of uptight and it was it was a uh, greg ginn and chuck dukowski right and i realized hey those are the black flag guys and look at their you know and th- then i saw flag at some point you know maybe it was maybe i'd already seen him you know and it was it was impressive it was, it was one of the bands that fucking kicked up a serious shit storm i saw that whole weekend of shows the day kennedy's did the whiskey uh the the other night the night after or before maybe it was they had flipper <laughs> open up and that was Sweet. the first time i saw flipper yeah and, Flipper was like seeing, Flipper. seeing that band live was, oh, was a very transformative experience. Totally. They, they were amazing. We the next <laughs> night from that we played that whiskey gig with the feeders, right? And I was nineteen. The next night we drive up to San Francisco and play at the Mabuhai, old punk rock club up in San Francisco, you know, and it, you know, and there was a bitchin' scene going on up there, you know, San Francisco's a yeah. trippy town. And it was my birthday. I turned twenty that night, you know. And that might have been with the fucking with Flipper. Because somewhere in there we played maybe we played with Flipper. But, you know, yeah, I, I remember playing uh, the Mab and the On Broadway a number of times with. Uh, I turned 22 on, in, in the On Broadway upstairs. I turned 22, and then I turned 24 playing in the fucking New York. You know, you remember your birthdays. And that yeah. night, that's the night. That's the night. That's a fucking classic story. That's the night we drove out to the end of Long Island and, and, and put the shit shit hose into the ground. You know, you, you heard that story. All right, that seems like something I want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> it was a trippy night, right? <laughs> we decided we, we toured in an RV back then. 
So we decided we're going to go out to Tipalong Island. You know, back then this is like pre-GPS. You know, you had like Rand McNally, uh-huh. and it had Rand McNally have a little little uh, picnic table and a little pine tree, and that <laughs> meant that you could hook up your RV to power, and that there was like a shit tank that you could dump your fucking, you know, <laughs> your your waste, out of your you know. Out so of you're your, driving around collecting all this. It was our own refuse. Yeah. <laughs> we were carrying our own work with us. It's our own little gallery. It's our, our own little gallery, you know. So we, we drive all the way out to the tip of Long Island. It's the middle of the fucking night by now. It's like three, four in the fucking morning. Decide to empty the 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 uh, the, the shit tank right, you know, out of the RV into the ground. There's a little station, you know. They got a little indentated concrete thing with a hole in it. Pop mm-hmm. the lid on that. Take the hose out of the thing. Hook it in there into the ground and pull the releases on the fucking uh, on the uh, on the you know. RV, so the hose comes alive, you know, and it starts fucking pumping in there. And I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoned, right? It's my birthday. I'm like, a couple of those will make you get get to the right place. And it's like far out, man. And then all of a sudden, they realize the the tank in the ground is full, right? So it starts to back up. And you know, you put that Thetford shit in there, and it turns it turns the waste in the fucking uh, in the RV all blue. Suddenly, this blue goop starts coming out, right? And it's Dr. Seuss. It's blue goop, right? And I'm just oh. enthralled, right? It's like, oh, <laughs> and it, and you know, like watching it. And then it suddenly it starts. It reaches the top of the cement thing, and then starts to find its way to the sea. And I'm still completely captivated. And it's like a parabola, <laughs> right? It's this like living wonder tongue of fucking blue shit goo, you know. <laughs> And I'm just sitting there watching it like, wow, far out, you know? And then suddenly it, it develops an, a, a, a right angle, right? Right in the middle of it. Like, just like suddenly it, it splits off into two separate arms with a really distinct right <laughs> angle in the middle of it. And I'm like, well, that certainly is curious. And then suddenly in, in my sewn state, I realized, ah, it's run into the corner of a tent. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I just, was just like, oh. I, you know, it suddenly realized, fuck. That's a tent, you know. We should go. We should go. <laughs> turn the thing off, right? We get the thing back in there. We get in the RV. Don't slam the door. Fuck. Turn the thing on. We're like waiting for like the screams of horror to start. Creep down to the other end of the uh, of the parking lot, you know, the far end where the RVs go. Never, Ooh. you know, nothing ever came of it. But for year, uh, years afterwards, some some poor soul or several souls or something told Woke the story. Up, died of, blue. They told the story. You know, for years they've been telling the story Reaping about how they were yeah. camping on Long Island and were suddenly engulfed in. Blue shit. Group. I think that might be the origins of the Smurfs. The Smurfs, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, little... oh, oh, sorry. Oh, I just oh, all my tour experiences was no shitting on the bus. Was kind of. Yeah, right. We own this fucking RV. You know, so this you was our shit RV. Where you live. Yeah, shit. You know, you know <laughs> and then you put that blue crap in there. You know, now the bus, bus thing. We did the bus thing. You know, and you get that. You know, suddenly it's you know it's it's like. You know, somebody else's domain in a way. You know, and you got you know drivey the driver and and. You know, it's fun though. I mean, you don't have to drive yourself. But the RV tours were a blast. You know, but it's still Those... a revelation compared to a van because when you're in a van, you have to stop. Yeah. You oh, the RV tours were a blast. Yeah. You know, we'd, we'd we'd do the gig, you know, drive halfway to the next gig to a state park, wake up in the morning, you know, wake up whenever, and be fucking out in some place, you know, nice, you know, not in the city, and have food on board and stuff, Camping. and then cruise into the halfway back, you know, to sound check, do the gig, and do the same thing over. It was a fun way to tour. And that's that was punk rock, you know. That's pre pre buses and stuff. So I was gonna ask two quick questions because we're you know part of what you've been doing you know is tying art and this whole movement. The SST bands and that whole period was kind of known in a weird way for their art as well as their music. And whether you you think about it or not, the Meat Puppets had a a vibe off of their album covers. Black Flag had a vibe off of theirs. The Minutemen had a vibe off of theirs. Um, 
was there ever a conscious thing of this is what we're doing with SST? Because a lot of punk rock bands, even from the East Coast, were not, they didn't have like a signature look like like the bands that SST had. Or even say R.E.M., who had control of their own art, all the records are slightly different. But there's a real, I think when you see SST bands and the art that goes with it, there's there's a feeling that you get there. It wasn't conscious and like, you know, we're going to do that. I mean, it's just what we wanted to do. And I think if anything, it reflects like uh, those guys' abilities as a and R guys, you know, as they would be called it, like pretty much. You know what I mean? That's as, true. How the major labels call them, you know, artists and repertoire, whatever the fuck it is. People that go out and s- scout bands and yeah. go, "This is a good one. Let's bring this into the fold or whatever." I think it had to do with those guys being really good at like finding what kind of they were. You know, these little pockets of, you know, like the Hooskers from Minneapolis were from out in Phoenix. You know, Minutemen are from San Pedro. Sonics you know, just from... Sonics are from New York. You know, wherever you know, wherever that happened to be these just these certain kind of bands, you know, and, and uh, I think it speaks more to that, you know, how, uh, what a good eye or ear or whatever the fuck they had in terms of bringing together, just bring, you know, certain bands into it. Sonic it. Youth especially had a thing with, with artists, like they would find an they're, artist they're from, for York. each album. Yeah. Like they would go, they they're would from be, New York. There's a lot every of album there. would be different, different album, different <laughs> artists, different album, yeah. different artists. And the art would seem to sort of shape the project in a, in a kind of interesting way. Well, those guys, I mean, they were always kind of ahead of the... I mean, they're just they're in New York, you know? It's like fucking, yeah. uh, you know, it's a hopping place, you know? And we're, we're just like, you know, out in Phoenix, just like, fuck it, just put another painting on the fucking thing. Yeah, it's done. But you guys had your own vibe, too. And, and uh, I mean, of course, you guys doing your own, your own work, uh, you know, whether it's the music or the art, it was very much... It was all coming from... Your your thing, your aesthetic, your place. Yeah, you, you I don't think you. Did you ever outsource? Do you ever work with another artist, uh, like someone from outside the band? Did that? No, ever? but we wanted to for ages. We're totally sick of putting our own crap on the records. <laughs> you know? Too fucking lazy to not. <laughs> you know? yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of other labels. Like, I, like the only ones that like are like 4AD and uh, maybe like Sympathy for the Record Industry out of. Uh, they, well, they got Mark Ryden going with them. Blue Note. Um, but those are some really good. But it, but yeah, whenever whenever I think of SST covers, they're all really bold and kind of. Um, no, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, you know, I like the, what Discord did with their. With oh, their, Discord yeah. is another good one. I thought you know, I, I, just tons like, of that shit was fun. You know, I mean, yeah. it was what punk rock was in a way. You know, it's just like get to do what we fucking want. You know, it and Dead wasn't... Kennedy's working with Winston Smith. Yeah. That was very. Uh, it all. It seemed. It, none of it seemed separate. It all seemed a part of. I mean, it's the artist having you know really hands on kind of stuff. You know, and it ain't about. It definitely wasn't about like trying to move units or whatever or anything like that. You know, and the idea of getting on the record or on the radio was was you know distant at best. You know, and. Uh, I remember we got a couple of reviews early on. Uh, one of them said, uh, or maybe it was the same review. It said the the the, the slightly retarded seeming Kirkwood brothers, <laughs> <laughs> you know, play like they're trying to make the audience dislike them. You know, so like, you can't use, you it. can't use that word anymore. It's yeah. it's considered. Yeah. Now you have to say totally yeah. retarded. Or, <laughs> but in a, in this, uh, but yeah, it was probably in a fanzine circulation. Yeah. Yeah. Some little thing. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. And that thing. But I, I remember. But still, it's funny how the fanzines really did have, in a very small way, compared to say how Rolling Stone works with a major label 
record, but still, fanzines did did have an influence. Yeah. Uh, but I, helping shaping that. Yeah, that time but I, re- too. I remember reading reviews of shows that my friends had been standing right next to me um, from like four months beforehand, and and that was like the the timeline on which you would be working, and like you would find out about it. <laughs> right. it, like if you missed a show, you'd be like, oh fuck, you'd be was I there? Oh, I was there. <laughs> I missed that. But it, it, I it's funny because it um, I feel like the the time. But like one, it gave bands more time to gestate and become good and cool because nobody it would take so long for the 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 media to catch up in the early 80s, especially because uh, it took a really long time. I mean, it it seemed to take like a year or more for a record to come out. And then from there, you know, your zine, it would take almost an equal amount of time. And then the information moved slow, like now. Of course, with the world we live in now, it's everything's instantaneous, and everything's old like two seconds later. Yeah. So, it's interesting to look and say, well, you know, could this kind of music happen in the environment now, or not? Because instant gratification versus this long period of time to actually do something. But then, yeah, then there are I. I regret to say Dan Deacon I because I, this pumps comes off the top of my head but like artists that or musicians that incorporate like an app into their performance where everybody holds up their phone and plays something at the same time which is kind of weird and kind of cool yeah, totally um, cool. but um, yeah I think they're like people I think the spirit is still alive I think it's just that they're working with a different set of tools and a different <clears throat> that's, set of, that's all it is I mean it's just like you know at, at a particular <clears throat> point suddenly you can electrify the guitar. Mm-hmm. Look out, honey, because we're using technology. Yeah. yeah. And that was said, what, 1973? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, so, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know, like, uh, anything really pretty pretty deaf. But it seems like anything can happen, you know what I mean? That's what the arts are all about, you know? And, and maybe there's, like, a, 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 a contemporary feel, you know, and a contemporary, like, everybody decides this is how it is. But in 20 years from now, the stuff that's going on now yeah. will have the same kind of, you know, or, you know, heft or whatever. Because, uh-huh. I mean, all we were, we were a bunch of kids just farting around, you know. I mean, we, like I said, I mean, we really, like, really liked to smoke grass, you know, really fucking didn't like to fucking be responsible, you know. And, uh, you know, except to, you know, what we wanted to do, you know, doing what we wanted to do, you know. And now, all these years later, just, just because... It's got you know a little time behind it, so I you know it's not like, and even at the time I mean there's considerations about is this valid you know yeah. I remember one of my favorite things. You don't stop using your brain ever. You know, um, and and, and it, you know people are picky about it and stuff. You know I mean we used to get spit on all the fucking time. You know you'd be like what the fuck are you spitting on me for? You know like you know because people had considerations about like the validity of it. You know is is this you know this or that and you know. But working in a sort of adversarial. Um, place can really also push your your whole thing into a completely unexpected place as well oh yeah like my, me pushing my bass into that fucker's face <laughs> you've always been the punker of the bank <laughs> still um, so so i have a question for you you so you you work at gagosian mm-hmm. uh i i dabble in going to a lot of art shows and it's been going for a while. I mean, since Paul Schemmel did Helter Skelter, yeah. And but it seems like 
the 80s punk rock elements is more in high art than it ever has been in many ways. Whether it's uh, somebody like Sterling Ruby, who's definitely tied into the Mike Kelly vibe, yeah. and Mike Kelly's work being, you know, getting the retrospectives or... Uh, Pettibone at reading. Pettibone, it, yeah, absolutely. And then um, like Jim Shaw's is uh, all over the place still, and even Niagara, like Mike Kelly's whole band, the Destroy mm-hmm. All Monsters crew. But um, I think, well, like in the Met Gala was like the theme was punk rock two years ago, and I mean, I, that yeah, was laughable though. That, I, I mean, mean like, that was the sort whole of thing a... is, uh, it's I think it's um, like the appropriation of low culture by the by the high culture. But I but I guess. Um, Putting that aside, um, I think uh, part of it is like like you were saying, like people like there's some distance behind it, and people realize that this was an important um, cultural movement that happened, and it, and it had its definite effect on on like the way we view things now. Even like looking at, um, I don't know, I think like you see elements of punk and elements of the DIY movement in just about everything. Even though, well, yeah, Madison Avenue especially. Yeah, and um, and like libraries. Yeah, the, the, the Ramones are, are bigger on Madison Avenue now than they were <laughs> when they were around and still alive. Here's um, a good question to pose: Was punk rock supposed to last this long? Boy, was anything well, supposed to last right. this long? I well, mean, the Rolling Stones. Yeah, I mean, punk's been, <laughs> punk's been dead at least five times. Well, I think it's uh, been and, dead, and resuscitated. Dead before it was dead. Well, it's punk rock. I think God's been dead. You 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 ask ten different people what punk rock means, and they're going to get ten different answers. And I think that's probably the best thing about it because whatever. I think. Uh, but I, I mean, as soon as you attempt to corner something that was and and define it. Uh, like the the whole goal was it goal of it was to kind of defy definition and defy um, defy any rules that people wanted to put on you and so it, as soon as something is established as a standard then right th- then that's killing punk rock and then punk rock has to be born again like Jesus I think uh, maybe punk rock even killed punk rock yeah, yeah. well <laughs> over the years I've met punk so- rock killed the punk, punk rock uh, uh, I will say that's that's one thing about that's, uh, your band, the Meat Puppets, that I've heard from. I've heard from several punk rock luminaries. They go like, the Meat Puppets, they're real punk rock, <laughs> because they they were they punked the punks. They were just like, you know, there there's a certain element of like not sticking to the the format. Here's the thing. I don't give a fuck, and, <laughs> and that's punk. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but yeah. I mean, then again, then again, I mean, at the time though, you, you got to realize a lot. It was mostly being ignored, uh, and and mainstream culture really had just set up barricades to keep it out. And everything, every media report that existed was just was just bad. You know, whether it's uh, well, your it punk rock like Quincy a... or Chips or every, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm talking early '80s here. Just, just, just punk rock like Quincy, the, right. the music industry <laughs> wasn't. Was great. Yeah, the music They're, punk rock is right. killing America's yeah. youth. I mean, you go back and you look at it's like it's like watching a Dragon episode from you know 1968. Where, the baby drowns. Yeah, right. Because they're all Blue tripping. Boy. Yeah. But I, I think it all. It all actually. I think it started with Blue Boy. Blue Boy. But going back to, to Reagan and uh, and Hinckley and all that, uh, but, I mean, this this was all happening in the Reagan and Thatcher 80s. Um, so where anything a little bit different was considered threatening and um, and cold and 
something that but we, and, you know, belong like, like in I jail. Said, I don't give, you know, I really don't give a fuck, and it wasn't a part of it, you know? It wasn't, like, intentional in any way, you know? It wasn't like we were going, you know, we're doing this to be outside of the mainstream or anything like that. No. We were just making the fucking art that we wanted to make, you know? And it happened to be, you know, I mean... It, it, controversial, it yeah. It, it, it wasn't even. I mean, we weren't controversial. We were just, we were like, fucking... <laughs> like, you know? We Sound like, pretty controversial to me. <laughs> fuck that shit. <laughs> um, you know, we were just doing what we wanted to do. It wasn't, like, in this purposeful, you know... We're not premeditated, you know. Uh, yeah, it wasn't like us or them or anything like that. I mean, we were really, really self-focused, you know, and self-indulgent, you know. And it was just like, no, we do this because we get to, because we say we can. You but know? I think, like the yeah, the whole the whole DIY thing that kind of existed in in the face of but it um, wasn't intentional. On I, part, I know it wasn't you know? intentional, we, but we, I think could, it was revolutionary. Or it not inspired. It certainly yeah. inspired um, many artists musicians i mean what the fuck isn't filmmakers yourself you know what i mean not to go into doing it yourself it. is literally what it means and, <laughs> and then again and like, even that yourself. phrase has been bandied around so much and it's so sort of almost hackneyed at this point but the origins of it are is something real but, but then yeah and, and you know it's all it was all it's it's distinctions that you know i i, I didn't bother with then you know and uh, I'm i'm glad to see you know, I just like to see any of my old pals, you know, it's cool that Ray's gone on to, do, you know, do what he's doing, you know, because, I mean, those were like, he, he did like flyers and shit, yeah. you know, for the shows back then. He well, he's the, still doing the, flyers, except you know? to go buy them for 20 grand now. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I got a big pile of flyers at home, so, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah, call, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, and doing some fun art. All right, here's a good Raymond uh, story f- featuring one of his flyers that was a fucking good one. It was the first time we ever went and saw the Grateful Dead, right? And the Meat Pups have been around for a minute. I like love the fucking Grateful Dead. And maybe that's, you know, you know, I, I'm just like, I like to play fucking music, you know what I mean? And the punk rock scene allowed us to actually play live music. And I'm not somebody that, like, I'm not that much of an extrovert in a way, you know, but it was like, you know, it's just something that, you know, let me, you know, play music. So, but I loved other, like, you know, I loved all sorts of other kinds of stuff, you know? And the Dead were one of the bands that I, you know, like, like them, Zappa, a few people that like made me the fucking Beatles, you know what I mean? Made me be able to tolerate rock because I, I wasn't that into rock and roll really, you know? And, uh, you know, just kind of see that, you know, oh, and you can have this kind of an attitude. You know, Don't forget still, the Osmonds. Still, and the fucking Osmonds, you know? <laughs> Col- Planet Colob. Yeah. So, the uh, plan. <laughs> you know? Um, it was all written in the plan. So uh, we pull into the parking lot. And we, like, we've been on tour or something, and I think we were all fucking tripping balls, you know, maybe we like fucking banging speed, you know what I mean? It was a fun night, right? Gonna go out and have a good time. They're playing outside this old place in Phoenix. <clears throat> and uh, first thing we see as you get into the parking lot is this naked dude running through the parking lot being chased by the pigs, right? <laughs> it's just like, oh, that's perfect. That just says everything. So after the gig, they played, and it was an interesting show, and I actually had a pretty good time. And, uh, Tony, remember Tony Victory? He did that. He did the JFA records, and he put on those shows at that wrestling ring in Phoenix. Right. You know, Tony was really into the Dead as well, and it rented ho- a hotel room at the hotel where they were all staying. And like he, he like pestered them all night or something. You know, kept calling them and like, I don't know, whatever. And uh, we decided to go over there. You know, it's just where like a bunch of people are going to be hanging out and stuff. And we were still lit up pretty good. And Kurt's driving. And we're in Lisa Wheeler. Remember Lisa? I don't know if you ever met Lisa. It's an old pal of ours. I was with Kelly. Remember Kelly? I remember Kelly. You know, so, and I'm like upside down in the back seat, right? You know, I'm just like, I ain't fucking driving, you know. I will drive, you know, but, you know. <laughs> uh, Kurt's driving, and boom, we get pulled over, right? And Kurt's always been really good at being fucking hammered 
right? And skirting the law, right? <laughs> it's just he's good at it. He's you know. Whereas you know, my my my, I think my my the opposite. My reputation precedes <laughs> me. <laughs> so, uh, like I'm like upside down. I'm getting the flashlight in the face. I'm like, yeah, man, do that. You know, more more flashlight, more right. flashlight. And Kurt steps out of the. He's like, get out of the vehicle, sir. He opens the fucking. We're in a Volkswagen. He opens the Volkswagen door, and that Raymond flyer falls out. Remember the one it showed it, the uh, the make me come faggot. A cop with a gun in his mouth. <laughs> a cop yeah, with yeah. a gun in his mouth. Cop and, with a gun in his uh, Yeah, and yeah. And then the little thing says, make me come faggot, right? And uh, that falls out on the ground, right? <laughs> right at the cop's feet. Whoopsie. And the cop kind of shines his light on it, and he's like, uh, uh, yeah, sir, you want to uh, pick up your uh, slip of paper there? <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> and just speaking of Raymond's art. So. But, I mean, great shit, you know. Ray, Ray, so, <laughs> what, I mean, what happened? Yeah. What happened? <laughs> Kurt, Kurt snaked. Kurt snaked. Kurt skated. It's funny how it's all interrelated somehow, kind of like the, the ebb and flow of this conversation. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of which, I think we're I think we're about done here. Uh, any any more words on high art, punk rock, and, and what it means uh, for the future? Gender definition. Um, and gender definition. Go Brusco. You know. I don't know, but I I really would like to play those congas in the corner. Do it, David. Conga us out, ladies and gentlemen. We'll Mr. Uh, David Markey outro on Congress. From Dave Markey. Okay. I'm Thanks for listening. Today's show was recorded at Winslow Court Studios in Hollywood, California.